Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to Crime Crime Night. This episode is about the terror of Anders marrying Breivik. Now, just to let you know, this does take place in Norway, and since neither of us speak Norwegian, we are having a hard time pronouncing some of the names and words in here, so please forgive us. We are going to try the best we can. Anders was born on February 13, 1979 in Oslo, Norway. His father was Jens Breivik, and he was a diplomat for the Royal Norwegian Embassy. He first was in London, and then... He eventually later moved on to Paris. His mom was Venche Baring, and she was a nurse. So he did have several step-siblings. He had three step-siblings from his father's previous marriage and one stepsister from his mother's previous relation. Now, his parents did divorce when he was quite young, and we know that his father did remarry. However, we are unsure if the mother actually remarried. Uh, We know that she did have a partner not quite sure if it was a marriage partner or if they were just together kind of a situation and he does refer to his mother's partner as his stepfather but it wasn't ever said if she actually got married or if they were just like long-term partners yeah and with that i mean sometimes you know if you have somebody that's in your life for a long period of time you may call them your brother your sister your aunt your uncle your step you know what have you but it's it's there's no disclosure of whether she was actually married to him or not (laughs) now he did grow up in oslo with his mom and he did claim to have a fairly normal childhood he was some somewhat of a rebellious teen which pretty much what teen isn't yes that's normal Every teen goes through a rebellious stage. It's kind of where you start learning, like, boundaries. Exactly. You're learning who you are and what direction you want to go in life. Mm-hmm. Now, he did do, like, graffiti on walls. I mean, and the, with him being rebellious, it did put a strain on his relationship with his dad. I think partly in part because he mainly lived with his mom, so he barely seen his dad or, or he's seen mm-hmm. him quite often. Maybe, I don't know. Or his dad just know how to do his behavior. But yep. it doesn't seem like he was... A horrible kid it no, seems like the worst no. thing he did was get in trouble for graffiti and walls which is quite good compared to a lot of teens so exactly exactly he did actually maintain his relationship with his stepmom even though he did stop talking to his father at one time so during his teen years anders actually became active in the norwegian progress party and the norwegian progress party is a political party that seems to favor like immigration restrictions and he actually eventually ended up leaving the Norwegian Progress Party as he his beliefs actually were becoming more extreme as he got older. And he actually claims that he is not racist, although he does often Nazi hand gestures and does seem to have a very particular dislike for Muslims. So, yeah, I would say he's racist but he doesn't think he is and a lot of them that are racist do not think that they are racist so there you go around the time that he was becoming more extreme in his beliefs and left the norwegian progress party he actually decided that the only way to achieve his political goals was to carry out an extreme plan which he actually referred to as an operation 
Um, so he like thought he was like an operative or something. Right. <laughs> <I> don't know. <laughs> and this was around 2002 is when he kind of made this decision that he wants to carry out this extreme plan. In his young 20s, that's, that seems to be when they're kind of finding their path. So I could see where he landed at that spot at that age. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Except the fact that he just like clung onto it and then kept it going. Anders began to gain funds for his plan. Now this plan was, it took about 10 years in making. So mm -hmm. it, it was a very extensive plan. Anders wrote a compendium called A European Declaration of Independence. And he did start a mining company and a farming operation so he could purchase explosives. So he was using them as like yeah. a cover. So he wasn't actually mining or farming, but that was way of getting access. So he to put a lot of thought chemicals. in this. Yeah. Th yeah. This plan is a very like intense involved yeah. plan. Like this is premeditated and then some. Yeah. This is just like, I woke up one morning and thought, Hey, let's do this. And then we go out and do it. This is, this like is a almost 10 years in the making of yeah. planning to execute this one day. God, that's like exhausting thinking 10 years. Somebody spent 10 years on doing that. That's just Because exhausting. he's racist and hates immigrants. Well, according to him, he's not. Well. <laughs> he is. <laughs> that's his opinion that yep. he's not. From an outsider, he is. My opinion is he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't go around Nazi hand gestures when you're not racist. No, that's you know, just kind of, yeah, that's just not good. And he, he actually collected emails to use them later on for his plan. So he must have somehow got a hold of email addresses and yeah. different things that he could use. Some of them, I'm guessing, were possibly like public yeah. emails. Or he could have like used like a phishing link type thing in the email where you click on something yeah. and it collects it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and you got to think. I mean, There's so many ways that he could collect it. And, well, this was in the early earlier 2000s so people weren't as aware of like things that were collecting their information so right and it was companies publish companies publish your like their employees information mm -hmm. on the yes. website and especially so. like his issues were very political and yeah politicians are tend to be public and their emails their phone numbers their emails mm -hmm. their addresses everything is usually very publicized. Mm -hmm. Anders also submitted a firearms application and he began purchasing the explosives and the chemicals at this point. So not only did he start the mining and farming company to purchase them, he actually started to purchase them. Yeah, so now point. he's starting to collect materials. Yes. And he did purge his hard drive. He did, he did some very smart things that he really put a lot of thoughts except for the fact that when he purged his hard drive then he started keeping information externally yeah which is you probably don't have a digital record just period right. but okay <laughs> now anders actually leased a farm where he actually where he made and tested his explosive devices as his date approached for his plan he actually went around the route he drove he got like a rental van and he kind of drove the route and yeah he like figured out, out his and, plan and route yeah. and yeah all of that once again very excessive on the planning yeah so this was very like he had to have had like so much anger in him that he spent this long of his life yeah to, 10 years to, to bring hate into this world even more hate than yeah so he went as far to even renting a van 
as part of his plan. So July 22nd of 2011, at 2.09 that day, he emailed his compendium to the email addresses that he collected, and they did include politicians as well as journalists. So I would guess it would be their like public emails mm-hmm. that he found. At 3.17 p.m., he parked his rental van outside of government buildings inside rental van was where he put the bomb so he had the bomb in there he, he parked it outside of some government building in oslo before heading to utoya island and nobody i'm sure suspected this you know yeah what I because mean? you don't think like somebody he probably just like got out of the van and walked maybe over to like near a building so you just yeah. assume they're he's going in that area maybe he's a he's delivery person or something yeah this is I, what i'm assuming because it seemed like there was like multiple government buildings so it's probably like a business mm-hmm. district type area where there's lots of businesses around there a lot of people in and out of their vehicles throughout the day so it's probably not weird he could easily blend in at 3:25 p.m the bomb in the van exploded and the bomb actually caused the deaths of six women and two men so a total of eight people were killed from the bomb and there was many many more that were injured during mm-hmm. as well at 5 17 p.m anders went to utoya island and he got there by boat which it seems like that's kind of way to get there from yeah looking at it doesn't seem like there's like a bridge or anything at least not one that i saw and this was a very tiny island mind you yeah like i've seen the pictures of it and it's very tiny and it really is like seems like it's only like this like basically like a camping place yeah. and if you if you look at the map of like norway and see there are hundreds of little look like islands it yeah. looks like at least mm-hmm. that are off the coast mm-hmm. through the whole you know yeah there's the a country lot. so he went to utoya island by boat and he was actually dressed as a police officer and he was carrying a suitcase that had an arsenal of weapons in it. That was smart for him to disguise himself as a police officer. Yeah, so nobody people would aren't ever gonna, second guess him. Yeah, people aren't gonna think so much about police officer versus like a weird random person walking around with a suitcase. Yeah. They're not gonna they're gonna not second guess a police Mm-mm. officer. At five twenty one, Anders actually killed a security guard and then began killing people who were at youth camp which was run by the norwegian labor party auf which is a group that has opposite political values than anders does and by the end of his siege on this island he had killed 69 people and most of them were like teenagers or young adults because this was a youth camp so many of the people there were very young. Probably high school, young college age, I'm yeah. gathering. Yeah, a lot of the victims were them. in their teens. Yep. At 6.34 p.m., Anders finally surrendered to armed police, rounded him by that. And by the end of his two attacks, he had killed 77 people and injured hundreds. So at least he had the sense to give up and just let him, let him take him in custody. I'm surprised that he actually went willingly Mm, I'm not really surprised because I think that he is someone who is very, he seems someone who's super like egotistical. So I don't think he possibly. <laughs> and so I don't think that he would be like, I'd be somebody that's like, 
I'm going to the death. Like, he, I think he values his life more. Do you think he thought that. he was going to get away with it, even though he actually Yeah, because at one it? point, he w- um, he made, like, a plan, I think, to, like, of what, like, he was thinking about, like, what to tell the police. And I'm like, you send a compendium right. to a bunch of people. You don't think they're going to figure out it was you? And yeah. he did, um, like, an interview with himself on in an article and just, like, reading that, like, I understand, like, kind of, like, how he we got he there. Yep. Yeah, he is, um, he seems to have very much of, like, a victim narrative, and he's very, like, autistical and artistic. Like, so, woe is me, woe is me, poor me, kind of. Yeah, a, so I yeah. think, I don't think, I think he definitely was going to surrender rather than let himself get killed, because I think he values his life more than, mm-hmm. uh, and at one point yeah. in his, which I found ironic, is in his interview with himself, <laughs> He, you like stated that uh, like violence is pointless, or he didn't like violence, or something along those lines. What does and, he call this? And then he goes in. What goes on a terror attacks of all these people? I'm like all these innocent yeah. people. So not only did he kill seventy seven people, wounded hundreds of them, mm-hmm. changed the lives of thousands of people at this point. Yes, it's just nuts. And I'm sure that affected the entire country because, yes, these things happen. They happen in every country, but it's not an everyday thing. It's Mm-mm. something that, like, when it's to this stream. Right, it's like a terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is basically yeah. a terrorist so attack. So it's mm-hmm. not often done, but when it's done, it impacts the whole yeah. country. Yeah, but he seems just very hypocritical and woe is me and very full of him, in my opinion. I do have to agree with you on that, yes. He does. On July 25th, 2011, Anders was charged with violating Section 147A of the Norwegian Criminal Code, which is anti-terrorism provision. So they viewed him as a terrorist as well. I yeah, mean, which this was a political move, so that would be considered yep. under terrorism. And over the next month, Anders was interviewed and examined by the court-appointed psychiatrists. And he was formally indicted in March of 2012. So it didn't take them too long to formally indict him. Well, they caught him right away. Yeah. And I'm sure, like, this was their priority to, you know, get through the court system mm-hmm. because this is, affected so many people. And it was just, like, devastating to the country itself. So. Yes, very much so. Now, on April 16th of 2012, Anders' trial began and he actually entered the courtroom making this Nazi hand gesture. So once again, going in, showing your true colors in this manner is not helping you at all. And March and August 24th of 2012, Anders was found sane and guilty of murdering these 77 people. So they did find him to be of sane body and mind. So well, it's not like it was a instance of insanity this was a ten, almost 10 years so it was like what nine years a nine-year plan to get to this point like at any point he could have been like you know this is probably not the right thing to do and backed out so of course he's not insane it wasn't like a spur uh-uh. lapse insanity or anything like that this mm-hmm. was planned meticulously Right. Now, this is what gets me, okay? He was actually only sentenced to 21 years in prison after killing 77 people. Which? Which it can be extended by five-year increments if he still seems to be a danger to the public, which I don't know if he will change ever. Yeah, I mean, this was a... He seems to be somebody who is um, quite stubborn with his... (laughs) 
his views in yep. life. And um, this, like, the 21 years in prison, I don't know, like, what prison sentences are typically like in Norway, but here that seems like for somebody who did that yeah. much would have gotten at least a, at least one life, if not multiple life sentences. Oh, yeah. I could see them have gotten multiple life sentences for 77 people. I could see them getting very multiple <laughs> sentences for these crimes. But we also have a completely different prison yep. sentence. And in Norway, I know they are more like about like rehabilitation yes. than anything else. So they probably, I would guess, have shorter years because most people are getting rehabilitated, unlike in the U.S. where we have a lack of rehabilitation. And in like reading stuff... I do notice that the ones that have committed the crimes and are getting themselves rehabilitated, they aren't second-time offenders, most of them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, that's it. That's yeah. kind of like it. They've done yeah. it one time, they've learned their yeah. lesson, and then they've moved on. They've yeah. learned how to deal with it and how to live their life without... Although, although that's not everyone. There are right. some people who just can't just get can't. their shit together. <laughs> Got that revolving door going on. Yes, but it seems like... In the U.S., I know we have, like, a high reoffender rate because there is a, a lack of rehabilitation. I think that's something that we could probably work on. I'm not saying we have to be cushy like the prisons in Norway, but, right. you know, like a little bit more on the rehabilitation for less reoffending would be nice. Now, he did serve his sentence in a high-security, mind you, three-room cell with access to a gym, a computer game, kind of like, you know, Xbox playstation one of those kind of a thing and he had very little contact with the other inmates which i think that's a good idea not to get him involved with all the other inmates he actually complained about where he was at in prison he even tried to sue the government about the conditions of his cell despite being like this luxury prison cell that he's in with three rooms yeah and there literally looks like a dorm room it looks like a college dorm room each of them so you have basically three college dorm rooms himself yeah, and it seems like a lot of the prisons in Norway are like that, too, where they're very, like, luxurious in comparison to, like, here in the U.S. In the summer of 2015, place of memorial called Lessinga, which means the clearing, was unveiled at the highest point of Utoya Island. Now, the memorial included a ring of silver with the names of the 69 shooting victims. We will also have a list of those who lost their lives on our website, which will be linked in the episode description. A museum called the 22nd of July Center was also open in Oslo. Now, this museum was a museum about the events that took place on July 22nd. Kind of like a remembrance of exactly something the whole country, I'm sure, was affected by in some way, shape, or form. Yes, for sure. Whether it was directly or indirectly. Yes. In 2017, Anders legally changed his name to Fuel Toll Hansen. On February 1st of 2022, after flashing the Nazi hand gesture at his parole hearing. Why would you go to your parole hearing and then show hand gestures that... Right, which was a political thing you did. That signify you clearly have not changed. Yes. So this obvious risk to society, he was denied. He's got to stay in. He has since stated that he renounced violence, but I'm, I don't know that he changed so much as his 
Mm-mm. He's just trying to like get out because he mm-hmm. said that after his parole hearing. It's like, how do you try and say, oh, I've changed, but like at your parole he- hearing, you're still doing the injustice that you did before that was a symbol of your political views. Right, and he's already been locked up for how long at this point? He's not going to change within a month. Yes, you know, yeah. I if mean, you it's... haven't changed from 2011 to 2022, I don't think you're going to instantly change it within a month. No, no, there's no way. No way. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. We release new episodes every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can find a link to our sources in the episode description. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Good Good night. night.